Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and today I'm joined by two of our columnists, Hugo Rifkind and Jenny Russell, and our political editor, Francis Elliott. Here are our three topics. Are politicians responsible for their own unsavoury supporters? When opponents of Jeremy Corbyn are targeted with sexist or anti-Semitic abuse on social media, is that really his fault? And if not, does that also render Nigel Farage blameless when racists decide he's speaking their language, or the SNP when cybernats bat for them? More worrying still, what if similar people, heaven forbid, should ever agree with us? The delay to the Iraq inquiry report is clearly upsetting for the families of those killed in the war, and is frustrating for the politicians. But when a mob unites David Cameron with Yvette Cooper, it's hard not to feel queasy. Are we sure we're blaming the right person for the delay and for the right reasons? In the last month, Edward Heath and Camilla Batman-Gellidge have both been fatally damaged by vague and flimsy accusations. Phrases like sex abuse are now so toxic that truth or proof becomes irrelevant. Being associated with them is enough to trash anyone's good name. Now Corbyn's being accused of anti-Semitism in the same thoughtless, factless way, tarnished by a thousand tweets. This isn't fair or just. It's the White Queen in Alice snapping off with his head. We've got to fight back. Okay, well, some of those uh, topics overlap, but let's start, uh, Hugo Rifkind, with with your topic, and that's the question of Jeremy Corbyn and a lot of his supporters uh, being accused of anti-Semitic abuse. Perhaps, first of all, tell listeners who aren't aware of the story what's been going on, and then we can get into the meat of whether he should have some sort of responsibility for the conduct of his allies. Sure. Well, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn, who is, of course, running for the Labour leadership from a position on the left or hard left or loony left, depending on on, on where you are yourself. Or sensible uh, left, or sensible. Which some people would say. Do you know, I've never heard anyone say that before. Um, <laughs> you don't spend enough time on Twitter. Obviously. I'm joking, of course. Um, uh, but he, Jeremy Corbyn has a, has a, a long and, I, I suppose, proud history in various Stop the War movements, uh, Palestinian solidarity movements. He seems to have brought from them, with him, into the leadership campaign, some supporters with rather unsavoury attitudes towards Jews. This isn't just my opinion. It's quite a lot. A decent number of of his supporters on social media do appear to use anti-Semitic language quite freely. Uh, Liz Kendall has also been targeted with quite a lot of sexist language, as has Yvette Cooper. Now, what what I wanted to talk about, I mean, as to whether Jeremy Corbyn himself harbours any sort of anti-Semitic views. I don't think there's any reason to suppose he does. I think he's a bit... Although although the Jewish Chronicle have asked questions about whether he's been too close in the past to Holocaust deniers. They've asked reasonable questions. I think he's answered them. I think he's been a bit careless about the people he associates with, which I think is perhaps a legacy of the Stop the War movement. It's simply something that he hasn't connected with. That, however, is not quite what I wanted to talk about. Clearly, he has supporters who are a lot nastier than he is, and I'm interested in whether or not that's his fault. 
I um I wrote a column once in the Spectator uh, about UKIP, wondering why it was that if UKIP wasn't a racist party, so many racists seem to think it was a racist party. And it's a sort of thought formulation that's kept coming back to me. And I keep wondering whether whether politicians are in any way responsible for the nasty people who think that they're speaking their language, even if they aren't. If they're not responsible for them, they must surely be responsible for challenging them, for taking them on and saying, I don't want anything, if you hold these views, you know, don't support me, don't vote for me, go away. They could at least do that, couldn't they? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, then, and, and the, the question... Has he, done, has he done that? He's, Sufficiently? He's, I mean, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what other people think about that. I think he's done it belatedly and, and weakly, but it's hard to, I mean, with Farage, you slightly got, this may be a contentious thing to say, I'm sure it's a contentious thing to say, you slightly got the feeling that Farage didn't quite want to sort of cut the racists adrift because he sort of thought, well, at least I've got the racists on my side. You know, yeah, he, I, he, I think we um, would categorise that as a little bit controversial. Well, but, yes. but, 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 but you know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't want to say, no, hang on, I'm, yeah. you know, this is absolutely not what I'm saying. He was yeah. quite content to leave it a kind of, well, if you want to think that's what I'm saying, then maybe I can use your vote. But no, 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 that's maybe a bit far kind mm. of thing. Corbyn hasn't quite gone that far with his own unsavoury supporters. What has he um, said? He has said that he, when he met various people, he didn't know the various bad things that they'd done, and he's seemed a bit harumphing and just generally irritated by it. But I, I mean, I don't like. I said, I, I mean, someone like Jeremy Corbyn, he's a, he's a, for for all his faults, he's a he's a tireless sort of humanitarian activist. I cannot believe a man mm. like that is in any way an anti-Semite. Of course, no, he's I not. Th- I think to defend him, you would probably say, uh, Jenny, let, let me bring you in at this point. He's been a big critic of Israel and he's been a pretty tireless supporter of Palestine. Now you can agree with that or you can disagree with that but it's likely that in the course of if that's a cause that matters to you over the years as well as getting involved and working alongside anti-Israel people you may well get involved alongside anti-Semitic people almost inevitably through no fault of his own. I think Corbyn Would you buy that uh, explanation? Oh, 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 completely, particularly because I happened to watch him last night on Channel 4 News being tackled That's about exactly night, these... Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Monday night. On Monday night on Channel 4 News, I watched Corbyn answering these questions and he was completely convincing and came across as a man of total integrity. Of course, the business of politics, particularly in any issue that is as contentious as the Palestinian-Israeli one, you're going to be talking to people all of whose ideas you will not agree with. And he made it very clear this week that that he is um, total non-racist in every situation. He abhors anti-Semitism. The person who is now accused of being a Holocaust denier was n- had not expressed any such views at the time when Corbyn came across him very marginally 10 or 15 years ago. He says he would totally have condemned that at the time had he known it. And the Israeli, the anti-Israeli activist whom he met, he also said was here for political reasons, was allowed to travel by the Israeli government and he was simply debating with him. Corbyn's mother was one of the protesters on the streets of Cable Street back in the 30s when Jews were being targeted. I mean, I think he's been brought up in that classic internationalist fashion. I don't believe that he personally has holds any reprehensible views. But I think the point that Hugo is raising is a terribly important one about what ought these people to do about their supporters. Because when Hugo refers, for instance, to the abuse that Liz Kendall suffered, it's more than sexist abuse which conjures up images of get back to the kitchen, darling. It's this woman being called a bitch, a whore, and it's absolutely vile the stuff that she's been subjected to. Now, I think that you have got a point, Tim, in saying that people who behave in this way should be told by politicians that they're not welcome in their activist groups and they're not welcome at their meetings. 
But the Scottish nationalists, for instance, <clears throat> haven't taken that kind of stance against the vitriolic abuse that their supporters put out. Nicola Sturgeon well, has criticised no, 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 them, Fra- 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 but they're not Elliot? stopping them participating. Yeah, I, Francis just, I think there are two separate issues uh, here. One is that the politicians playing kind of uh, at a level which can't quite be heard uh, to supporters that they would generally disavow is, is, is so well known it's even got its own kind of political handlers called dog whistle politics uh, and it's been around forever and all parties do it to some or, to some or greater de- degree and the extent to which you know parties can be held responsible for the views of all their supporters is different. What has changed you think Jeremy Corbyn is dog whistling? A little, I think. You know, he is. I mean, you know, he is. Is he unhappy to have votes from people who may take? You know, you take the votes where you can in an election. So you know, and you don't necessarily criticise your supporters or or take them on. You know, it's just not not good politics. I think what's changed, obviously, is social media and the kind of rapidity and of and the anonymity of all that. And, uh, I mean, Hugo, you must win some sort of badges for, uh, for most trolled columnists. I mean, you have in your time been, been trolled um, magnificently by uh, cybernats and anti-Semites. Um, um, so um, think, among others. Among others, yeah. you know. That, and yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's just before breakfast. So, that, I mean, you know of which you speak. There's, there's a certain, and the, and certain the, UKIP MEP in Scotland who's not a great fan of yours Oh, well. my, 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 my favourite is the, uh, the, the campaigner for various things who is convinced, because I wear a green shirt in my, in my Twitter avatar, is convinced that I was a member of the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force. I, I mean, get, you can say IRA. Well, I mean, that would almost make more sense. I'm, I mean, I'm from Edinburgh, you know, I, I, and I've engaged with it. With it's, it's a woman I've engaged with her and said, "Do you think I would?" I went and fought for the IDF before or after my first job in celebrity journalism, and, um, and she says that's not important. I just want the truth. I know you, you, your your flow was interrupted, Francis. <laughs> no, well, not really. I mean, my point was made. I think that that, that you know, it's a, it's just and all the rest of it. I mean, the, the point about this is that actually, at the end, politicians do become damaged by their Twitter trolls, as the as the SNP have learned to their their cost. I mm. mean, the cybernats actually did end up doing serious political damage to the reputation of the SNP, and they have had to rein them in. And Corbyn, how did they do if that? And when he wins, by disavowing them, by saying that if they had been by instituting proper parliamentary disciplinary procedures, there was a famous case where Charles Kennedy, after his death, was found to have been targeted by trolls and uh, they were unmasked, including as a local SNP convener, and he was sacked. I think I'm right to say that, Hugo. I mean, yeah. Your knowledge will be better than I am. You know, they have belatedly got a grip on this uh, and I, and I, and because they see it does real reputational damage. But what's important here is that, you know, we unmask these people and that's a sort of job for journalism, really, and that, you know, uh, there's no good bleating about the anonymity of social media. You know, we, you know, good journalism has been done unmasking these people mm-hmm. and where they have links, established links to political parties, we should draw them out and we should be doing the same with these Corbyn people. Hugo, if, briefly. If I, may, on, I mean... On Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, it's, it is an undeniable fact that the bit of the left from which he comes from is, uh, is intertwined with anti-Zionism. It's an undeniable fact that anti-Zionism is often, by in fact, if not in definition, intertwined with anti-Semitism. I slightly get the impression with him that he spent a career in these quite... These, you know, well, basically, the, 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 the environs of the Stop the War movement, which are not well known by mainstream media, which are not well studied, in which strange and quite extreme attitude, attitudes do, do fester and are commonplace, 
and he's probably never particularly worried about them before, and now that's what's biting him. Do you know, mm. I really think that's a misunderstanding from what I've seen of Corbyn. I just don't think that's what drives the man. I think it's that sense of every person has a value is actually fundamental to him. He may well have come across some unsavoury people, but I think the implication that he somehow thinks those attitudes are OK, he may think they're understandable, well, but, it's, it's not but just, that's it's, a different matter. It's, it's, it's not just... It's not as it's not as specific as that. I remember the first um, the first anti-Iraq demonstration I went to because I was in my political awakening was the Iraq War. I remember that going along. To even though you were a member of the IDF, in the even part. though I was a member of the IDF, um, I was um, in, in my youth. Uh, I, I must must have been about twenty. I'd never been politically active before, and I went along to the and and the Iraq War was pending, and I was very much against it. And I went along to a demonstration, and uh, and the uh, I think it was the the socialist worker were handing out placards, and they said on them, "Don't attack Iraq." freedom for Palestine. Mm. And I remember thinking, I'm not against freedom for Palestine, I'm sort of pro the idea of a Palestinian state. I wasn't aware that that's what I was here for. I wasn't mm. aware that there was any Palestine dimension to the Iraq war. Yet for some people it just has to be dragged in. Yeah. And now this is, the, this is the environment in which Jeremy Corbyn has spent his political career. You're going to pick up some strange fellow travellers along the way. If he's, in tro- if, he's, if he's finding it difficult to disassociate himself from these people now, that in, in some respects, that's his responsibility for not having dealt with that over the course of the last 20 years. Um, just b- before we move on, and while we're on the subject of Jeremy Corbyn, and Francis Elliott, political editor, where are we on the, the Corbyn phenomenon? We've had two opinion polls in the time suggesting that he is going to win the Labour leadership election. That's that's well, become the narrative. It certainly has, and it's not just the opinion polls. I mean, it's the, the, the candidates themselves are obviously uh, believe the polls, and because they are, those that aren't Corbyn are now competing for who can be the person to defeat Corbyn so yeah it's become established that he is the man to beat probably yeah a strong front runner I'd say yeah and and is it premature to begin to think about what's going to happen to the Labour Party after the the result (laughs) while on Monday evening Jenny was watching Channel 4 News I was watching BBC 2 Newsnight Tristram Hunt the Blairite if we're still allowed to use those terms Hmm. former education spokesman was saying he wouldn't serve under Jeremy Corbyn Andy Burnham is saying he would, Liz yeah. Kendall saying not, Yvette Cooper seems to be saying not. Could you basically have the Labour Party completely splitting, almost regardless of the results? Yes, I think that's exactly what we're seeing now. I mean, Raphael Baer, I saw a tweet on the way here, <laughs> he'd returned from holiday to see that the Labour Party had reached a that stage. A columnist from a rival newspaper? newspaper, I yeah. have to say, but never mind. I mean, you know, this is a good... T- a very wise a, guy, nonetheless. It was a good tweet. <laughs> he, said, he said said that the Labour leadership had, had reached that stage of marital breakdown where things had been said that could no longer be, you know, could not later be unsaid, <laughs> which I thought was about where we're at, really. Yeah. Is there yes, anyone I mean, capable the, of marriage counselling in the Labour Party? Uh, no, is there any yet. uniting? I, mean, I, think, I think there is plenty more crockery to be smashed, and mm-hmm. I think, I think where we are now is what you know. Wh- where were you? You know, what did you do in the war, Daddy? I mean, would you serve with Jeremy Corbyn or not? Has obviously become a defining issue. And as you, if you say, Yvette Cooper and Liz Kendall say not, Andy is making a virtue of yes. And so we have got a clear division now. And, that, and the narrative now is is is, is with what happens on Corbyn Day. day you know, plus one, plus two, plus three. My sense is, I mean, there are obviously there are there are mechanisms for an immediate challenge, but my sense is actually is that is that the Corbyn opponents will bide their time, regroup, and hit back. You know, as it becomes evident that that it is doomed to failure. One interesting thing that um, a 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How, how can you, by the way, just on the mm. basic Com- constitutional right, yeah. can the Labour Parliamentary Party yes. no confidence in? It yes. doesn't have to be the electoral... Member, the whole membership. No, I mean, you. it's quite arcane, this, uh, but... <laughs> you surprise me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, um, there are mechanisms in the Labour Party rulebook that allow for a leadership contest at every annual conference if a set number of Labour MPs at a certain percentage... What I think, fun are we going to have? Apparently, I think it's about 35. So 35 MPs want to trigger a contest at the Labour Party conference and the General Secretary of the Labour Party allows that to happen, then it will happen. I'm just fascinated by how's he going to fill a cabinet? Who's in this cabinet? Well, I mean, you know, I mean if, if he didn't have enough people to nominate him to stand for the leadership, <laughs> who, who, I mean, who? He's got seventeen originally. That's almost a cabinet. But who's going to be his? Who's going to be his shadow, well, shadow minister? Lem McCluskey will be in the, the House of industry, Lords. You know? Baron I mean, McCluskey, and then you'll have <laughs> Baron, gonna, Baron Marks or Watco. They'll all be. As, <laughs> well, he's going he's, I mean, to fill up. He's going to fill up a shadow cabinet with peers. Jeremy Corbyn, really? <laughs> Baron, you know, Lord <laughs> Owen Jones. Who I can see it all now. Well, no, I mean, what would uh, Andy Burnham was now? I mean, you know, solve that problem for him. He's, you know. But there'll be a certain amount of Burnhamites, you know, who are given a. Yeah, but they're going to have to agree with him a bit. I mean, we we we, well, we, we must move on soon. Yeah. But Jenny, just you're you're a you're a keen observer of the of the Labour Party. Do you agree with Francis's basic analysis that it's it's splitting either way? I would be very surprised if I don't wanted to trigger um, anything as soon as party conference. I think the Labour Party needs to tear itself apart for a bit because I think there was a completely fake unity taking place under Ed Miliband and I think they needed to debate the issues but if they end up with their very muddled new leadership system with Jeremy Corbyn at the top I think the only sensible thing for the party to do would be to sit back and watch what he does it would be absolutely pointless to have another leadership contest under the same rules immediately after this one. If mm. they didn't win these rules this time, they won't in three months' time either. They have to wait until the I party has changed its mind about I don't think you were saying it would happen this party conference where you're Francis. No, 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 you were no, just no. saying it could no, happen no, after no, the party I'm conference. Saying yeah. The mechanism is... Yeah. Uh, the, the formal oh, mechanism yeah. would be yes. to trigger a party conference. Actually, those, you know, the, 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 the kind of <laughs> continuity labour, real labour, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever survives, the non-Corbynite labour will wait their time and they, and they will... You know, hope for him to fail. I mean, one very wise kind of uh, sinuous Labour MP said that what he really feared about uh, an Andy Burnham victory was that um, he would benefit from a mid-term bounce uh, and actually be ahead in the polls, uh, and then, and then that was that was really fatal. And that, that actually they would limp on with a sort of slightly inadequate leader, and that they wouldn't be that I moment just before. It sounds like a movie we've seen and heard before, yeah. but uh, um, I will. Um, but let's move on to our second uh, topic, and it's your topic, Francis, and it's the Chilcot inquiry, the Shh. inquiry into Iraq that never arrives. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I completely get the fury of, of, of the, the military families. I mean, it must be, you know, it is deeply, it's intolerable for them to have to have waited for so long for this. This was, 
And many of them have died many, in the process of in, waiting. In the, in the process of waiting. I mean, you know, well, the conflict, you know, the invasion was over in 2003. The inquiry, you know, was, you know, Labour resisted until 2009 for setting it up. Uh, and now it's 2015. And, you know, and there is as yet no no firm date of, of, of when it will report. Although my expectation is that when MPs come back in September, uh, Sir John Chilcott will... Uh, come forward with a date because I think you know uh, that's that's uh, that's certainly number ten's expectation as well. I can, just can number ten order. No, who uh, ha, who who is in charge of this process? Sir John Chilcott, completely that, independent. independent. That's yes, that's, that's I mean the clues in the name. I mean, you yeah. know, and, and you know, is, is he accountable to nobody? Then there's no sort of judicial. That's why people are going to court because he is accountable to ultimately to the Supreme Court. Sure. That but, I mean, is the only way we can get what, this published. What, what is, I mean, what, it, what exactly is being criticised here? Is he being criticised personally? Are we saying that he's been lazy? Are we saying that, you know, whose fault is this? And I just think that, you know, when, the, when you hear the kind of, you know, cacophony of politicians all piling in to criticise a guy who, who can't and won't, for honourable reasons, hit, you know, talk back, mm. then something in me sort of slightly, you know, is slightly queasy, especially as you, if you remember, one of the, there, I mean, there are, the, the reasons for the delay are multiple, but they include, uh, and a, the, one of the more lengthy ones was a standoff between Number 10 and Sir John Chilcott about what, what the memos between Tony Blair and George Bush could be published. Mm. Obviously, it's a very tricky issue. It goes to the heart of information sharing with a key ally, you know, our most important ally. I could see why it was difficult. But it was, you know, it was Sir Jeremy Hayward, the Cabinet Secretary, that was holding out on it. You know, and, not, and that caused a year's delay, didn't at it? At least a year. And it was what, 13 months. I mean, what are we supposed to be saying? Oh, no, you know, it's just John Chilcott, you know, shouldn't bother with that. You know, we, we could have had it by now. We, yes, we could have had it by now if he hadn't done that. You know, and the other reason for the delay is maximisation, this process where those people who are criticising the report are shown a draft so that they can challenge it. And and and, um, and that, has, that, that process has resulted in more information being released um, or, or is going to be put into the public domain and it will be robust and nobody will be able to say it's factually wrong i mean but, but dame, dame butler all these has written to the, the our newspaper yes, and I, said you know she ran an inquiry into child abuse yeah. A hugely sensitive case. Yes. She gave people a limit and yes. said they had to reply well, by this I'm time. Slight... Is, is that more complex than <sighs> what we're dealing with here? Is John Kilcock just being too well, indulgent? Well, Sir John Kilcock has workers? said on the record that he has given nobody an indefinite amount of time, you know. And, well, on, and Butler Schloss, said, by the way, also... should know a bit, a bit about media vilification. She was forced <laughs> well, to true, yeah. she was forced to stand down mm -hmm. as the chairman of the historic child sex abuse on the ridiculous grounds that she once had a dinner party with somebody who may or may not have you know been involved, which was insane. Mm. And so for her to come out and criticise another inquiry chair, I thought was a bit rich and showed but, a little. Um, Hugo Rifkind. Well. None of this is wholly accidental. You know, no, no government ever announces an independent inquiry because it wants to find something out. Uh, inquiries, they're the sort of political equivalent of landfill, as in you get all your rubbish, you bury it in the ground, and you leave it for future generations to worry about when something comes back. <laughs> That's precisely what's happening now. You know, an inquiry, the inquiry was, was announced in order to shut down the conversation. It's, it's a flawed system. There's got to be a better way that we investigate these things rather than... The, but all the, the delays you know, will ultimately result in a fuller and more complete and better report. I mean, well, uh, longer is not necessarily better. Could just be slow and unfocused. Well, because there is a. I guess he's Hugo Jenny Russell says this is a flawed process because, and you know, we've some people are blaming John Chilcott, but there is also an inquiry into some of the uh, banking failures of seven eight years ago, which is equally mired in enormous delay again because of this Maxwellization process of witnesses having a extended periods to. 
respond. That that needs to be fixed somehow if these inquiries are to have public confidence. Well, I think you always have to strike a balance in anything between whether you want speed or whether you want depth. And there's also a question about whether Chilcott was the right person to do this in the first place because he's not a man with any inquisitorial background. He's not a lawyer. He's not a journalist. He's a senior civil servant. And I think the phrase maximisation sounds so vague, but in the Chilcott inquiry, it not only means that people can see what's being said about them, they can then employ lawyers at public expense to challenge every single sentence that might be critical of them. And I think the fact that Chilcott said recently that he was prepared to give people a reasonable amount of time to reply and then turned out to have no definition of reasonable and not offered anyone a guillotine on the time by which they had to respond. I think that is a um, is, a, is a setting in which people are obviously going to do all they can to make sure that there's n- nothing in this inquiry which is going to criticise them personally because they know that the media is going to jump on any criticism there and use it to rubbish them. So you can see why they're all terrified and neurotic. But if we want some answers, we have to, we had to be able to say, and perhaps this is just a lesson for future inquiries, that there will be a timetable. Everyone will get, say, three months to respond to what's said about them. And then that's that. It's a guillotine and after that it's published. OK, well, uh, talking about media jumping on controversial stories, let's move on to your topic, Jenny Russell, which is what you see as the vilification of people like Edward Heath and Camilla Batman-Gelich of the uh, Kids' Company um, charity, just on the basis of allegation rather than proof. Tell us more about what you're worried about. Well, like many of us, I've spent the past few weeks on and off holiday and sitting in various places abroad, picking up the newspapers. I found myself completely bemused by what's being said about these two particular public figures because, for all I know, Edward Heath was a paedophile. For all I know, Camilla Batman-Gellidge was... um, totally incompetent. Perhaps there were things that were deeply wrong with Kids' but Company. But we presume they're but innocent we until proven otherwise. But, but from what I can see, there's absolutely no evidence to sustain the kind of vilification that these subjects now have. Now, we used to have a system where it was proudly said in Britain that people were innocent until proven guilty. Well, now you're guilty the second that some phrase is associated with your name, in this case, sexual abuse. Jeremy Corbyn is, I think, being tarred in much the same way by anti-Semitism. Somebody tweets an allegation about somebody. These very phrases are so toxic that you, as the person reading it, think that sounds so reprehensible that I'm going to repeat this tweet. I don't want to be associated with anybody who holds these kinds of views or who might be accused of this kind of behaviour. And what nobody is stopping to do is to say, where's the evidence on which this tweet or this accusation is based and by the time it's been shared on social media 200,000 times these things have become facts of themselves so that Camilla Batman-Gellidge was referred to in newspapers the weekend as the, the disgraced charity boss well we don't know whether she was anything more than incompetent and somewhat autocratic and chaotic managerially we just have no proof and yet her reputation is now trashed in most people's minds this is appalling our profession stands accused, Francis It's not Elliott. just our profession, I have to say. It's also the public. We all want to be first with the news and first with the judgments. Social, social, do you think social so, media social and media news perhaps together. Eggs, eggs us on yeah. to be slightly more... Judgmental. Stories that we would have been slower to put on our newspapers. I think the kind of natural to. history of, of stories is certainly speeding up. And so, you know, the kind of cycle from, you know, 
questions to answer to as you say embroiled to disgraced you know uh, two days <laughs> or maybe <laughs> maybe 24 hours in some you know uh, in some ways and on the that works both ways though the rush to judgment also means people move the caravan moves on more quickly as well there's perhaps if the caravan's just rolled over you i think yes. you stay rolled over okay. uh I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about before, right at the beginning, with um, trolling and the and the and the and the ease with which uh, really vile accusations can be kind of aired publicly with with no. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's an old hobby horse I know, but dear old Brian Leveson, you know, and he was, uh, you know, holding us all the, the newspaper industry rightly to account and his failure to do anything, you know, to 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 to, to look at the publishing on social media and and the responsibility there was was a, was a big issue and. And, and maybe some of the, some, you know, some newspapers are taking the worst aspects of social media, and as you say, in this kind of speeded up, kind of hyperventilating. Ah, oh, there must be something there. Mm. The kids' company story was, it still perplexes me. I, it, it, they were due funding, therefore there must be something there. Where is the something there? You know, where where is it? <laughs> Come on, uh, well, and produce. Perhaps there was nothing because, according to Bat McGallage, it was the minute that Newsnight aired the fact that there were accusations of sex abuse at Kids Company, which come down to, apparently, a 22-year-old client of Kids Company may, off-site, have persuaded some under-18-year-old girls to have sex with him. We're not talking about mm. organised abuse within Kids Company by staff or anything. It's a sort. very sloppy, lazy language. But as soon as the language. phrase... Know, it's just, it's the, the phrase was out there. She said the, the funders took fright, at which point the company well, collapsed. And now everyone but, assumes but, but, that it must have been guilty. Hugo Rifkin, final word in this on this topic and in the podcast to you. Well, the reason why the, the funders will have taken fright is because they were afraid of I mean it's, it's circular they were Absolutely. afraid of a, a, afraid a, noise, of a noisy public harbour all, all I can believe in sort of in a spirit of hope is that all this is a phase we, we still venerate the written word in the same way that we always did we have opened up the power of publishing vast and wide to humanity in general there's a lot of idiots out there there's a lot of people who don't think about what they're writing in the same way as, as you're encouraged to do in some form of professional media yet we have a habit of still taking all sorts of noise as seriously uh, and I can only hope that in the in the years to come in the decades to come we'll begin to get our sense of perspective back um, do, do, do you think there was a brief moment when McAlpine started suing people who'd libeled him do you think we ought to have a few more cases like that to make people feel personally responsible for what they're saying and repeating on Twitter and on social media yes sure uh, but I also think I also think that this thing will this it'll happen more it'll happen more naturally I think a lot of actually a lot of the public response to the Heath revelations has been a Discussed at the media has been has been a, a bit sort of a bit of kind of weary oh come on just stop it mm. you know I think mm. there's been a lot of people have, have been disdainful I mean a lot of people have been dis- disdainful of the way said the mirror has gone after that I've I've heard a lot of a lot of noise about, uh, that, that isn't necessarily going in the direction you would have expected from 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 the, the so history. as as, or, as always the public uh, wiser than perhaps we sometimes credit them for or indeed are (laughs) (laughs) anyway time's Um, public certainly is absolutely Hugo Rifkin Jenny Russell Francis Elliott thank you very much for joining me today Um, if you'd like to read some of the articles that provide background to the things that we've been discussing today and you are a Times subscriber please go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central where I'll list them and uh, please do subscribe to this podcast via iTunes where you can find us by searching for Times Opinion podcast and then you'll never miss an issue i'll be away next week phil webster will be in the chair but as always you'll be in the safe hands of our producer dave mcguire goodbye thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk